that I'm really excited about. We've been talking about it for a few weeks now, and uh, this is a series in the book of Romans. Um, I have no idea how many years it'll take us to complete this book. Um, and the reason I say that is, uh, you know, in studying for this, you know, I've gone back and I've looked at uh, the shortest version of it. The one I saw was 32 weeks. Uh, one of the pastors that I follow along with and one that uh, I read commentary on um, uh, periodically. If you're familiar with Pastor John MacArthur. Uh, John, I can't even tell you how many years he spent in the book of Romans. I think the rapture occurred two or three times uh, during that. No, uh, it, it's just, a, it's an amazing book. And, uh, you know, if you want to do a word study on it, um, you can spend years and years and years. We will pick keywords along the way. I'll share some of those with you today. I titled this series Made Right because it's not something that we can do on our own. It's something that only God can do is make us right with him through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'll come back to that each and every week. So I titled this series Made Right. This morning, we're going to really hone in on verses 1 through 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 17 here this morning. And I titled this morning's message, Called of God. And uh, it's my hope that uh, each and every one of us, whether we're in the sanctuary at home, that we understand there's a calling of God. You know, the book of Revelation says that, you know, behold, he said, Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. You know, he's calling each and every one of us to repentance, and he's given us a free will, and uh, we have the ability not only to uh, receive Christ, but to choose him. And there's just a, such a beautiful message that when you follow the Apostle Paul's life, and so I don't want to hurry through this this morning, um, I really just want to hone in on a few things that uh, really uh, move us past religion into a relationship with God, because that's what he desires in each and every one of our lives. It's not, not dutiful roses, as, as someone might say, but that, that we would have a, a passion for him, a love for him that matches uh, the love that he has in a sense for us as well. And so um, we'll read this this morning in verses 1 through 17. The book of Romans, though, before we do, you know, it's called the, the Christian Manifesto of Freedom. You know, it's the Christian's declaration, you might say, you know, the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And the book of Romans, it tells us how God, through Jesus Christ, sets people free. And, and not just free, but free from slavery, the slavery that, that Paul talks about of sin or our old behaviors. And, and I think it speaks to each and every one of our lives. And, uh, that, and it's not just free from sin and from the past you know, problems that uh, we've faced and occurred in this life, but a, a new form of slavery, you might say, unto Jesus Christ. And I want to spend some time talking about that today, because a lot of times people will, will talk about their freedom from something, but it's not just, as the Apostle Paul will bring out, a freedom from something, but it's a freedom to someone instead. And uh, again, I love what uh, the Apostle Paul will have for us here. You know, I always appreciate, you know, when people ask me, they'll say, you know, so how do you go about choosing a book? I love, you know, there, there's people in our congregation, they're very 
uh, in not just inquisitive, but they're, they're deep thinkers. They, they, they study the Bible and not just read the Bible, but they study it and, and they'll look at words and they'll think through and they'll, and they'll get an understanding of something. And then if they hear me say, hey, I'm going to do this book next, sometimes they'll say, oh, you know, Pastor Mike, you picked that book because, and they'll tell me and I'm going, yeah, that's exactly. And they go, oh, you know, and I appreciate that because it's so timely because they see what's going on, you know, in current events and they can understand prayerfully how someone might arrive, you know, the 66 books that are in the Bible, you know, why would you land on that particular book at that particular time? And it's been interesting over the last few weeks, you know, people, because I've shared with you that we're going to be going into the book of Romans and they go, ah, I get it. And it's so neat because there's so many different perspectives, some that I wasn't even thinking of myself at the time, which I really appreciate because then it just gives you some insight into what people are thinking and what they're praying as you guys as well are looking at the horizon of our society today. And then, you know, the beauty of God's word is it's timeless, right? The beauty of truth is it's good for all people, for all places, and for all time. It doesn't change. And so this message that was so uh, important to the church there in Rome uh, is so important to us today because in many ways, the same you know issues that the church in Rome was facing then are the same issues that we're facing again today in the life of the church. And so it really encourages me. But one of the interesting things, you know, to me, especially as I, as I began to pray, because oftentimes, you know, when I'll pray about, you know, Lord, what, what book do you desire you know, for me to do? And it's not like God, you know, he doesn't like call me. It's like, he doesn't have my, you know, cell number. And he goes, Hey, Mike, I was thinking, you know, and I get this, you get promptings or you feel a certain unction or you're studying something and you just, you're in your spirit, you just have this yes and amen and yes and amen. Um, and this was one of those, those books that, you know, as, and wasn't that I was studying it personally. It was just that the Lord just kept leading me back to it. And, and as I began to then study and go back through uh, times when I've taught it before and uh, old notes and things. And I was, as soon as I read what I'm about to share with you, it was like an aha moment. I was like, ah, because I think, you know, if, if you're like me, uh, I, I'm not going to even ask you to raise your hand because it would be silly because it would be true of all of us. You know, I, I want revival in my own heart, in my own life. And I want revival for you. And I want revival for our city. And I want revival for our state. And I want revival for our country. And I want revival for our world. And, and that, that involves a lot of prayer. And so as I'm thinking about this and I'm praying about this, here I am picking up, you know, the book of Romans. And when I begin to read commentary, you know, one of the first things that comes to, to mind here was looking back over church history. And it was important to know that the book of Romans has transformed the lives of so many people, so many great men and women of, of our faith, you know, uh, people like Augustine, like Martin Luther. You think about this, that, you know, the book of Romans, he said, is actually what for him sparked revival in his own heart, which ultimately led to what we would call the Protestant Reformation. I mean, that, that's profound, you know, when you think about how, how powerful that is. Uh, I think of John Wesley and the, the Methodist revivals that he said himself that were sparked by his personal study and devotion to specifically of all the books in the Bible, the book of Romans. You think of, you know, uh, William Tyndale, um, John Bunyan. I mean, th these are great men that if you study their lives that had a tremendous impact on the world. And for each of them, they point specifically to the work of the Apostle Paul in writing the book of Romans. And so if you think about it, 
then, I mean, you go, I look at this and I go, this is not like two or three or four, you know, of, of the, the church revivals that have, that have occurred throughout history. Uh, all have been tied to the book of Romans. It's, it's every single one of them. Every single, so I want you to think about that for a second. Every single great revival that has occurred in this world has its roots in the book of Romans. Uh, and I, I just kept mulling that over. I kept pondering that thought. And I was like, man, God, that's why. You, you want us to dig afresh into that. Because I think all of us would agree, you know, in the sanctuary and at home today, that if there's anything that this world needs today, it's revival, amen? And, and so to me, that I, I just was excited afresh. I, okay, Lord, you know, because it's been a number of years where I've really spent the time digging in this. I mean, you can read through it devotionally, but I mean, but to dig into it together and, and to invite the Lord to speak to us. And so that's what we're going to do today. So I'm going to invite you, let's read verses 1 through 17 to kind of get this section in so it just begins to permeate within our heart. And then we'll focus, like I said, on the first uh, seven verses or so here this morning. In verse 1, it says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, it says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find in my way a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established, and that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as it is with me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And let's pray. I was, I was getting ahead of myself there. I was, I was, when you start to read something, I'm wanting to stop and I'm going, man, I just want to tell you something about this. And I'm like, I can't go, oh, can't. I have, I'm talking to myself as I'm, I'm trying to read this. I'm like, oh, I want to say something here. Now, I'm not even going to cover that this week. And I'm, I'm this things that are going through my head. It's the excitement of this text. I mean, I just want to say one thing about this before we pray. Here's Paul writing to a church. I mean, think about what he's saying here. You know, don't, don't just gloss over this for a second because we think about prayer and, and, and really, uh, what it really should mean in all of our lives. And here's Paul writing to the church at Rome. And at this point, he hasn't been there yet. 
he, he, I mean, I will see in chapter 16, he's going to list a whole bunch of people. So he knows a bunch of people there, right? But he's going, but I never cease to pray for you. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, that he's praying for people he's never met. And, but he's going, but I never cease to pray. And I was saying earlier, we forget to pray for people that we know. And here's Paul. I mean, so it just shows you something's happened in this guy's life, you know, and that's the revival that, that I pray for, for myself, for us, you know, for, like I said, for our city, for our country, for our world, that this kind of depth of love for God and, and for people uh, would, would really capture our heart. Cause it's just, it's so uh, astounding to me that he's, you go back and you just read those first 17 verses and he's writing. And, the, and, the, and again, he doesn't write with fluff and it's not an exaggeration. It's not a lie. It's a truth of his love, his care for people that he's, he's never even met before. And, he, and he's so excited about getting to them to share the love of Christ, to be not just encouragement to them, but for them to be an encouragement to him as well. And so I, I just hope that as you get into this, it, it excites you as much as it does me in this. You know, the theme, you know, of, of Romans is the righteousness of God. Keep that in mind as we pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity to dig in, start a new book. I pray that, Lord, as we do, that, God, it would, it would captivate our hearts, our minds, our very lives, Lord. When I think about this book, um, the whole book, and it being about the righteousness of God or how to get right with God, uh, Lord, it, I love the fact that it makes no difference whether you're a Jew, a Gentile, a religious or non-religious person, whether you're rich or poor or anything in between. God, what we learn here is anyone who has a heart for you, God can become right with you because of what you have provided for us in your son. We thank you for that. And we pray, Lord, for the lost. We pray for the lost within our own church, those that might come on a week-to-week -week basis or periodically, Lord, who don't really have a, a personal relationship with you. They, they have a form of religion. May you use this study, Lord, to draw them, Lord, close to you. God, that they would begin to understand the freedom that's ours in Christ. And not just a freedom to, to not sin uh, or to be caught up in the old ways that we used to do things, but to become a slave to Christ and what that really means and the freedom that comes by being your servant. And so, Lord, we open our hearts to you and all that you have for us this day as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's some key words that, you know, if you're a note taker here that you might write down or, you know, put these into memory. I mean, obviously, they're, they're redundant throughout this study. The word law, the Apostle Paul uh, uses here some 78 times, but it's important to understand he's not talking about the law of Moses here. Again, it's used like a principle. And what I mean by that is Paul will say, for the law of the life of Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. So he's not speaking, like I said, of the law of Moses. He's speaking of the principle of life and the principle of faith versus the principle of death here. And like I said, 78 times he'll use that word law in the book of Romans. The word righteousness, another word, important for us to glean as we go along some 66 times and the word faith appears some 62 times so if you look at you know the repetition of these key words you kind of get an idea uh, of the of the theme of the book and the theme of the book like i said is how we're made righteous by god by faith you know, or you could say the principle of the law of faith 
It's not the law of Moses. That's not how, and this is where people make a mistake. See, someone reads the Bible and they go, oh, see, it's the law of Moses. And so they think it's the 10 commandments that makes us right before God. <laughs> no, that's not what he's saying. Because again, the letter of the law does what? It killeth. The spirit giveth life. And so uh, real, real important as, as we go along. We're made right before God because of what Christ has done for us. Not anything that you or I could ever do for ourselves. We are given a righteousness by our faith. Comes by way of our faith. Not again in what we've done. Our faith isn't in our faith. Our faith is in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. You know, again, you could say that the, the whole summary statement then, you know, of the book of Romans, it's found there in verses 16 and 17 of chapter one, where Paul would say, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What is gospel? When you think about that, what does that word mean? Most of us know that means what? Good news, right? Well, you can't have good news unless you have what? Bad news. I didn't want to start with bad news. So I want to start with the good news because that's what it starts with. Next week, it'll get into some of the bad news. And again, but that's what makes good news so good news. If you knew how bad the bad news was, then you'd really appreciate the good news. And unfortunately, what's happening in the church community today is we have many in the church don't want to hear the bad news. They don't want to even proclaim the bad news. Though the bad news is in all throughout scripture, all the way back from Genesis chapter three. But, and what's really interesting, when you think about bad news versus good news, it's really true in our world that, you know, that people are attracted to bad news more than they are good news. And it's been proven many times. If you turned on the, the TV today and uh, a, you know, prominent news station said, you know, hey, uh, this whole next week, all we're going to do is share good news. What do you think their ratings would do? Go up or down? Statistically speaking, they go down. People, for some reason, like bad news. They're attracted to bad news. And there's a psychology behind it. We're not going to get into all that. But Paul would say this, I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And again, first for the Jew, also for the Greek, for the Gentile. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by what? What do the just live by? By faith, not by works, not by the law, but by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, who loved us, Paul would write, the church at Galatia, who loved us and gave himself for us. So here's a little outline, quick outline of the book of Romans. You know, you can kind of divide this into four categories as we study this. You know, we have first the wrath of God. That's what we're going to be studying next week here. Get past this little intro. Uh, then it'll go into the grace of God. So we have the wrath of God, the grace of God. Then we have the plan of God. And then it'll finish with the will of God. So we have the wrath, the grace, the plan, the will of God. You know, chapters 1, verse 18, we'll get into that next week through chapter 3, verse 20. Paul's going to be dealing with the wrath of God. Then we'll pick it up in chapter 3, verse 21, all the way to Romans chapter 8, verse 39. And he deals with the grace of God. And then in chapters 9 through 11, you know, he turns his attention really towards uh, the Jews and the Gentiles. And there's all kinds of questions that the church had. Um, and again, he'll cover that, the plan of God, you know, God's plan for Israel, God's plan for the church. That'll be in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And then in chapter 12 to the end of the book, it's all about the will of God. So it's a wonderful study that I think is so, so timely for us, I think that as we get into this, you'll start to have those, I hope, on a week-to-week -week basis in your own life, the aha moments that 
uh, are very pleasurable to have that you go, okay, God, I see, I see why you want us to, to not just individually, but collectively study this as a church today. Verse one, if you look there, he says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Like I said, we could spend weeks just on this verse here. So you think about, you know, who is Paul? You know, it's really a great place. He says, Paul, Paul, he was obviously born uh, to Jewish parents. He lived in a, in a town called Tarsus uh, there in modern day Turkey. Uh, when he was born, his parents gave him the name, we would say the English version of it is Saul, which means requested one, uh, or you could say the man in demand, you might say, uh, for Paul. But following uh, his conversion, uh, when he came to Christ, he changed his name from uh, his Hebrew name, Saul, to his Greek name, Paul, which means little, little. Goes from being the requested one to the little one. And, and it's interesting because Commentators are kind of divided on as to why Paul changed his name from the requested one to the little one. I like what uh, Pastor John Corson writes. He said, some say it's the result of his humility. As Saul, he was a proud Pharisee who looked down on other men, which is true. It says, but when he converted, he was broken. And yet other commentators would go on to say that Paul changed his name because of accessibility. And you think about that, because what was Paul wanting to do? He was traveling, you know, his, he went on three missionary journeys, four, if you count his you know, trip by ship to, to Rome. Uh, but he, he traveled all through the Roman Empire. So he drops his Hebrew name, and he takes on his Roman name. You know, he was identifying, you know, Paul said, I become all things to all men, that by all means, what? I might win some, you know, to the people that he was seeking to identify with. Some would say it's humility. Others would say it's accessibility. I like what Pastor John Corson said. He goes, maybe it's both. And then he goes on and he tells a story, there's a true story about Dr. Billy Graham. Dr. Billy Graham was invited to, and he did this with many presidents, but he was invited to uh, the inauguration of Bill Clinton and to offer the inaugural prayer. And uh, the week, it was probably two weeks before um, he did the inauguration, he was invited by and Diane Sawyer to do an interview. And she did an interview with him. And, and in that interview, she, she asked him a very specific question. She said, Dr. Graham, she said, what would you say is your greatest failure in this life? And she goes, and she goes to answer the question for him. She goes, would it be your connection or your relationship to Richard Nixon, you know, um, a Republican? Or would it be your connection to China? Uh, no, uh, Russia, Russia, yeah, uh, Russia. And and because at that time, uh, Dr. Graham had uh, a tremendous you know, influence in Russia. And he looked at her and he said to Diane Sawyer, he said, you know, honestly, he said, my life is, is a failure. My whole life. And she looked at him and it was like, was he, was he just trying to avoid the, the conversation? And everybody that knew Dr. Graham said, no. He goes, because the only thing that he saw was, as being successful in his life was his conversion to Jesus Christ. It wasn't anything that he had done or anything that he would do. And, and John Corson points out, and he goes, and it's that humility that gave Billy Graham the accessibility to stand before kings. And I really believe that that's true, and I believe that you do too. That our humility is what really gives us the place of our accessibility. God resists the proud, but he does what? What does God do? He resists the proud and gives what? Grace, yeah, grace to the humble there. So such a, a great thought when you think about it. But that word bond servant, you know, we've talked about that, you know, many times. 
Um, it's the word doulos there. there. And, and I, I like when you think about the word doulos there, because we, we think of it in terms of, of what we read in the book of Exodus there in Exodus 21. You can read that for yourself. But, um, you know, there, uh, if a uh, Jew uh, was in debt and owed someone, they could become a servant for a period of six years. And then the seventh year, they were allowed to go free. But at the, during that seventh year, if the, the person who owed the money to their master determined that they liked the life that they had with their master and that they felt like their master treated them well, um, they could go to their master and say, I would like to become your, your doulos. And that was to be uh, two things, to be a doulos. One, it had to be of your own free will. That was first and foremost, the most important thing. Secondly, it was for life. And so here Paul is saying, I'm a doulos. And, and the important thing that we can miss here, I think sometimes, and I love this definition, it says uh, doulos is a slave and it speaks of one who is not free. Okay. So when you read that, you go, Ooh, I think it's really about freedom. It's like a slave who is not free. It expresses the condition of one who has a master or who is at the control of another. And this would be said of dignitaries. This would be said of military when they would go into battle with other countries, that they were obviously under, you know, a, a kingship. They were under, they represented a king. It's like Paul saying, we're ambassadors of Christ. We don't go with our own message. We go with the message of Christ. But Paul here is saying that he's a bondservant, that he is a slave to Jesus Christ. You know, I have a friend, Howard Eddy, and uh, years ago, you know, Howard was really involved in the life of our church. They've moved uh, to the East Coast uh, for a number of years. I got to spend some time with him a couple months ago when he was in town for a, a funeral. And uh, one of the things I always remember about Howard is uh, the guy is just a, a great servant, even to this day. But he said something one time at an event. People were complaining about things, about serving and you know, stuff. And he was just talking with a guy. And, and uh, they said something to Howard. And Howard said, he looked at him and he goes, uh, you know you're a servant by the way you respond when someone treats you like one. And it was about as silent as it is right now. It was like you could have heard a pin drop. It was just such a profound, I mean, to the, I haven't forgot it in over a decade. I forgot a lot of stuff, but I have not forgot that. It was so profound. You'll know you're a servant by the way you respond when someone treats you like one. Because, you know, we can ask people, just like look around, I go, you know, hey, uh, hey, would you do this? And people, I'm not doing that. It's not my job. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in the life of this church. It's not my job. You go, wait a second. That's not the, that's not the heart of a doulos. Man, that's, that's not the heart of a servant because your life is not your own. Your life belongs to God. And in the time it took you to tell me that you weren't going to do it, you obviously didn't have time to pray and ask God, Lord, what would you have me to do? And, and we can study that through the Apostle Paul's life, right? And we, we'll go back and we'll look at some of those things as we go along. And if, the, again, it was, there was a, a, a mark, like, so if you were a doulos, you know, we read there in Exodus 21, what you would do is that you would go up, uh, you know, they would take you to a, a gate and you know, your master would take an awl and he would pierce it through your ear and they'd put an earring in that ear, in the right ear. That would signify that, that you belong to another. You know, Peter would write that, you know, we don't need a, an earring, you know, people do that. They get earrings, they might get a tattoo or they get something, you know, but Peter says, you know, we were purchased with what? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we belong to him. 
you know, and, and it's going to be reflected in our heart. It will be reflected in our attitudes. He says he's called to be an apostle. You know, so Paul wasn't merely invited, uh, but that word called there has the sense of an appointment. And I want you to think about that because what applies to the apostle Paul applies to me and you today. It indicates that here that he didn't just assume, you know, the office himself, but that he was set apart for it. And he was given the authority by Jesus Christ himself. And it's important for Paul to state that because he's making clear that people understand he has the same authority as the other apostles here. John 15, 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. In John 15, 19, he says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own, yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Yeah, you've been called of God, set apart to God. And that, that, that's a profound thing. We'll spend some time developing that as we go through the study, but I just want to hopefully tantalize your thought process or you begin to think about that today. You've been called of God. Have you answered the call? And just because you're here doesn't mean you've answered the call. He's calling, but have you answered the call? Because it's not that he saved you from something. Well, I just don't want to go to hell. That's not what salvation was about. You weren't saved. This religion Okay, this is a relationship. You weren't just saved from something, you were saved to someone. So, so important for us to understand. He says, I'm separated to the gospel of God. You know, one time Paul called himself a Pharisee, and that word Pharisee means separated, separated one. So again, the word Pharisee, it, it simply means that. The Pharisees, you, you recall, I mean, they prided themselves, you know, on being separate from the rest of the world. I mean, they, you know, they wouldn't even touch you, you know, if you, you know, if they saw a Gentile, they, they would pull their clothes tight and cross over, you know, on the other side of the street to get away, to not become what they deemed as unclean. And so here's Paul. He understands that because he himself was a Pharisee at one point in his life. And so here he, he again, is seeing himself for, for what God has called him to be. And again, uh, and I love, you know, when he, when he says, you know, I've been separated unto the gospel. And, and I want you to think about that. Just take a moment and think about that yourself. What did God separate you to? Not what did he separate you from? See, that's what people go, hey, I used to do this, right? Isn't that kind of the testimony? We have guys, we, women, we share our testimonies all the time. And it's, hey, I used to be involved with this. I used to be involved with this. But guess what? You don't have to be a Christian to give up sin. You don't have to be a Christian to give up bad habits. You go, hey, I don't do that anymore, you know? Now, see, religion is about separating ourselves from something, but Christianity, and you might write this down, is about separating ourselves to someone. And that's what Paul's making clear. It's kind of like the word repent. You know, someone says, hey, you need to repent. Well, a lot of times people repent. They go, I turned from that. And you go, but the word repentance doesn't mean to turn from and end there. It means to turn from your will to God's will, from your way to God's way. Does that make sense? That's what true repentance is. Otherwise, what you're doing is you're just turning. You know, you go, I just, and we, and we, we know that. Have you ever given up one sin only to, you know, grab hold of another sin? You go, yeah, it happens all, all the time. It's not quitting a particular sin. Like I said, that's religion, just trying to clean up our act. You go, no, it's about coming to Christ because you can repent without being saved. And you can live a separated life without being born again. Like I said, lots of people turn over 
new leaves. They stopped doing what we might call a particular sin. They separated themselves from that sin. Kind of reminds me of that old saying, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, and I don't go out with girls that do, right? And you go, yeah. You go, what does that prove? Nothing. And that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying he's been separated unto the gospel of God. It's not just from something that's to someone. And he says, and it's not just that he's been separated to God. He says, I'm a slave. I'm a doulos. By my choice, that's what he's saying, and for life. And for life. And this is even before, like I said, the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit separated Paul into the gospel that we read about in Acts chapter 13. You know, where the Holy Spirit separated, he said, unto Paul and Barnabas for the work that God had called them. Jesus separated Paul, we know, in Acts chapter 9, where he confronted him there on his way to Damascus, and he was knocked to the ground off of his high horse, and he saw a bright light, and he heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And so even before, even before, Jesus separated Paul. Think about it. Paul would write in Galatians 1.15, he says, I know that, what? He says, I was, he says, when it pleased God, he says, look at that. He says, who separated me when? When was he separated? From my mother's what? Womb. He says, and called me through his grace. Called. Yeah. I mean, this, this is, gets so difficult. And we'll get into this as we go along. But to think that the calling of God in your life, you know, it wasn't in the moment that you answered the call. And, the book of Ephesians says that we're seated right now, currently in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, right? And you go, and when did he call us? He said, before the foundations of the world ever were. You get into predestination and election and, and free will, and then all of a sudden it's just like your head starts to spin. But it goes back to understanding, you know, that God is a choosing God, that God is a calling God, and that God's placed to call. And the beauty of it is we get to answer that call. We get to answer that call. And even though Paul, think about it, even though up to Acts chapter 9, Paul was persecuting the church, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit knew all along what Paul would eventually be doing. And, and I put an asterisk in this because, you know, it's a great reminder. How many of your parents today, and it doesn't matter how old your kids are, but your parents today or your grandparents here today, understand this, your kids and your grandkids, they have a destiny, okay? They have a destiny, and, and again, and I love this thought. It's not your job and my job to mold them as much as it is my job and your job to unfold them. They were created by God. They were created for God. God has a purpose and a plan for their life. Sometimes, you know, as parents, though, we get in the way because we have our own ideas. We have our own understandings. We have our own, you know, passions, that things that we want for our kids. And we begin to, you know, push those, you know, again on them. But what we should be praying, what we should be praying is, Lord, show me, show me today what you want for my son, what you want for my daughter, and help me, God, to channel them in that direction. Well, I'm not going to know that, or are you going to know that, without spending time with God, without spending time in his word. And I love that, because we see the heart of, of Paul. Paul would say, you know, to the church, he said, you've had many teachers, but you haven't had many fathers. The, everything about the gospel is relational. We're, we're part of a family, the family of God. It's not about rules and not about regulations. It's about 
of relationship. Verse two goes on, it says, which he promised, says before, through the prophets in his holy scriptures. He, again, he promised what? He promised not something new. It's not like he just made this up. But, you know, what Paul was, was talking about here, he brought up, you know, uh, not something new. He said, but, but something that was really something very old, the very plan of God, you know, from the very beginning. Uh, again, even Jesus himself, he said, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. He said, I did not come to destroy them, but rather to fulfill them. Again, I love that John Corsonism. I share it with you frequently. He said, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. You know, again, the gospel's good news, not because it's the New Testament, you know, uh, but it's the, rather it's the fulfillment of all that God promised to do, what, centuries before. I mean, think of this, thousands of years before, the people, people joyfully looked forward to what God had in store for them. You think about when the children of Israel, you know, were in Babylonian captivity there in Jeremiah chapter 31, and the prophet says this, thus says the Lord, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not like the old covenant under the law of Moses. And you think about that. It's a progressive revelation that began all the way back, like I said, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and it's woven all through Scripture. Genesis 22, whether it's Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah, it's, uh, whether it's in the Passover that we see in the book of Exodus, and the blood and the lentils on the doorpost, whether it's the predictions of Isaiah there in Isaiah chapter 7 and chapter 9, Isaiah 53, and you think about, you know, the predictions that the psalmist makes in Psalm 22, we think about, you know, the... Um, Messianic Psalms, you know, um, there's others, you know, 300, over 300 prophecies, predictions that are made about Jesus Christ, where he'd be born, what he'd be like, what he would go through in his life, how he would die, and that he'd be buried and that he would rise again. 300, over 300. I shared this with you before. Peter Stoner and Robert C. Newman, they wrote a book called Science Speaks. Their book was based on the science of probability and it confirmed by the American Scientific Affiliation that it calculated the odds of one man in all of human history fulfilling just eight of the 60 major prophecies fulfilled by the life of Christ. The conclusion they reached was that the probability that Jesus of Nazareth could have fulfilled even eight prophecies, not 300 or more, would be one in 10 to the 17th power. So that's, that's you know, one and then... 10, 17 zeros, you know, behind that. And so you think about, you know, if you're a visual learner like myself, you know, to better understand what he writes, he puts it like this. He says, to understand one in 10 to the 17th power, he said, in silver dollars, that would be enough to cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep, okay? And the chance of, of doing this, he said, then take one of those silver dollars, mark it with a red X, and then just toss it into the pile there somewhere in the state of Texas, and then blindfold the man and tell him that to go find that, you know, that, that one, you know, in that two feet pile in the state of Texas, find that one that's marked with a red X. And he goes, the chance or probability that that blindfolded man finding that, that marked, you know, silver dollar would be one in 10 to the 17th power. He goes, the chance of, of one person fulfilling just eight, eight prophecies would be one in 10 to the 17th power. And Jesus fulfilled over 300. You go, there's no question. No, there, there's no question to a, a person who would think with an open mind 
that Jesus Christ is who he, he claimed to be. Verse 3 goes on, it says, And concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. You know, remember, you know, David wanted to build God a house. And, and because he was a man that shed blood, the Lord told him, you're not going to build a house for me. He says, but I'll build, uh, you know, a house for you in this regard. And, and you're, you'll have an heir that will sit on the throne. It was a promise of the Messiah that one day would come through the seed of David. And he says, you know, this, um, I, I love this, you know, concerning the son uh, of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. My notes, I put it this way. He said, this is the center of Paul's gospel, the son, S-U-N, that everything else orbits around. The center of Christianity is not a teaching or a moral system. It is a person, Jesus Christ. Everything revolves around Jesus. And that's what, what our lives should be. And, and only you can answer that for yourself. Is Jesus part of your life? Is he all of your life? Does he revolve around your Sunday, you know, or in the truest sense, you know, is like in our solar system, can you, is Jesus the center of your life? And does everything you do revolve around him? See what happens when we talk like that, people go, oh, they're a fanatic, you know, that old expression. They're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Their head's in the clouds, you know. And I love to remind you, you know, we'll never be earthly good until what? Until we're heavenly minded. Yeah, that was Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Verse four goes on. It says, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So this Jesus has both a human origin, born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and he has an external, uh, eternal, excuse me, <laughs> eternal existence declared to be the son of God. So the evidence of Jesus' humanity is his human birth, okay? We get that. And the evidence of his deity is his resurrection from the dead. Verse 5 goes on, it says, And through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Again, we've received grace, unmerited favor, right? Unmerited blessing. You think about that word grace there. And we've received apostleship. We've received direction for ministry. So when you receive, you think about verse five, why it's so important to us. It's not just that it's the apostle Paul. He says, through him, we've received grace. You have received, if you're in Christ, unmerited favor. Okay. And apostleship. So you go think about apostleship. Yes. Direction for your life. What is, what is God's tell us about his words. He says, his word is what? It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. Jesus said, when I return to the father, I'll pray. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will be with you, right? He'll be in you. That's again, we talk about the joy of receiving communion and that understanding that we're not alone, that God is in us. And what will he do? Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, when he's with you, says he will quicken to your mind, all the things that I've spoken to you. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Amen. And to have that kind of what? A relationship with God. That again, if we're just jamming through life and we're jamming through our day, we're going to miss that completely. Because he is, he's that still small voice. But if we'll, if we'll wait on him, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You think, are you tired? Are you wore out from this life? You go, then slow the pace. But not that you would just focus on you, because that's what people do. You go, oh, I just need to be you know, replenished. You go, no, 
the Lord. Let the Lord bring that revival. Let the Lord bring that restoration. If you want it to last, let's just put it like that. I like how Pastor Skip Heitzig put it. He said, this good news isn't just local news. It's breaking news. It's worldwide news. It's for all people. So what Paul is saying, if I can sum up him in these verses, is God sent us to tell everyone everywhere about this awesome news. What's the awesome news? That our sin can be forgiven. That there is unmerited favor. That there's grace that we don't deserve, but that God wants to lavish upon our life. It's not limited, like I said, to one race and one place at one time, but it's truth. And truth is good for all people, for all places, for all time. The scope is what? It's universal. Now, God hasn't called everybody to go, but he's called you know, the gospel to go. Now, the key question in all of our lives is, what is he calling you to do? There's the call. Again, what is the call upon your life? Not what do you think or what do you want to do, but what is God's call upon your life? Now, you have to think about this. We'll get into this as we go along. It's pretty obvious Paul wanted to go to Rome, right? I mean, you, you can't miss that in the first 17 verses. But let me ask you this. Now, go back and study, you know, the book of Acts. What is it? Chapters 26 and 27, I think, is where, where it's at. Um, where Paul, how he gets to Rome, right? It's a two-week journey on a ship that ends up shipwreck, right? Let me ask you this. Do you think Paul got to Rome the way that he wanted to go to Rome? I don't. I don't think when Paul was thinking about, hey, I can't wait to see you guys, that he thought he was going to be in prison. But that's the method that God chose. And yet, but God made a promise to Paul in the book of Acts as well. Paul was in prison, and what did God tell him? He, he wasn't going to die. He was going to what? He was going to Rome. And so, like, Paul would have thought, hey, maybe the gates are going to open up here just like they did, you know, uh, other places, other times, but it didn't happen like that. He ends up in chains, ends up in prison, ends up on a prison ship, ends up shipwrecked. It's bit by a snake. He's beaten. You know, and you go, is it what he had in mind? You go, no, but man, we, we, you know, so kick against the goads, you know, of God in our life, the same way that Paul resisted it in his own life there in Acts chapter 9. Verse 6 and 7 goes on. It says, and among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. And I just want you to underline that. You've been called of God. Or have you been called of God? Have you, have you answered the call of God? Like I said, he's standing at the door of your heart. It's not religion. And, and, and again, religion is so empty, isn't it? I, I mean, I, I know some of your stories so well. And, and you did for a number of years. You go, Mike, I was just into religion. I mean, I came to church. I served. I got involved. I gave. I, I did all those things. But I just, every week, I just felt empty because I still, I just did it for me. I just did it for going through the motions. And I go, but man, on that road to Damascus, when God knocked me off my high horse, and I know in my own life, it wasn't when I got saved. It was years later. I was driving down a freeway. I was going to Delano. And as, as, as I could hear your voice, I'm driving in this truck. And I hear God say to my heart, Mike, am I enough? If I take away everything from your life, I take away your, your family, I take away you know, your prestige, I take away your position, I take away everything. 
everything in this life, would I be enough? And just bawling before God, just me and God, nobody's around. And I'm like, God, no, you're not. You're not enough. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my family. I love, I love my job. I love what I was doing and what, not what I was doing then. And you go, and all the, all this is gone. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm now not at home. I'm not able to do the things that I enjoy. Can't, you know, it was like, and God's going, would I be enough? And for a week, I mean, my wife, she could tell you, we sat out in our backyard and I would cry every night. And I wasn't at that point in my life, I wasn't that emotional. So she thought I was having a nervous breakdown. So she calls her dad, you know, my father-in-law Rod, so Rod could talk to me because, and then only to find out that Rod had the same experience I've had. So it worked out really good because, you know, then, you, you know, he could understand, he totally understood, you know, what I was going through. Because it's a place that God wants to bring all of us to. He stands at the door of your heart and he's going, am I enough? He's not into religion. It's so empty. Been there, done that. And it just leaves you so high and so dry. I mean, so guilt-ridden, so ashamed. Because like I said, it's, it's, the, it's the height, the epitome of it's hypocrisy, isn't it? It's just, it's just a mask that you wear. You know, you come to church. Like I said, it's the thing we, we've all done it at some point in our life. Well, maybe there's a couple of you I could look at and you haven't done this. But I tease all the time about this. I can be walking across the campus, see a couple come to church, and you see them in the car, and they're just, you know, going at it. They open up the door. You know, like nothing's happened. And like I said, you can see the same couple. They get right back in the car after service and they go right back to it. It's like, you go, wow, they didn't forget anything. They picked it up right where they left off. It's just amazing, you know? And you go, we get that. We understand that. And that's why grace is so amazing. That's why this good news is because what we're going to discover, you know, th this couldn't be man-made. Just think about this. If this was man-made, you wouldn't make up a story like the Bible, would you? I mean, no, because we know there's churches today that they're only good news, right? God loves you. You're a good person. You know, you have a good heart and God has a wonderful plan for your life. And, you know, um, just things happen, you know, but hey, think happy thoughts, think good thoughts, you know, whatever, you know, all those type of things. And you go, it's just good news. And you go, you don't realize, you know, all of a sudden you're reading Paul's letter and he's going, there's none righteous, no, not one. Uh, one of the reasons I love John Corson so much is he's helped me so much through the years when I, when I first gave my life to the Lord, reading his commentary, I mean, it was just, it was one of the only ones that was really out there for one that was legible. You know, I mean, most of them were, you couldn't even, you know, for a common person, you just, I, I couldn't relate, but John Corson, man, I could relate to this. And, and here's what he said. And maybe you can relate to this like I did. He goes, when you're reading your Bible, uh, you're going to have stories, and that story is going to have a good person in the story and a bad person in the story. When you read the story, just know that you're the bad person. And he goes, and if you do that, you got it right. He goes, if you think you're the good guy, and he goes, then you've missed the whole point of the story. And I read that, and I go, wow. Because as a non-Christian, I read the Bible, and I picked, like many of you, I picked, I was the good guy in the story, right? Everybody else was, you know, know what does Scripture say? There's none righteous, what? Oh, you know what? And I mean, some, even Christians hate that. They, eh, well, that could be said of, you know, I look around, that could be said of some people in here, but you no, know, I, before Jesus, I was a pretty good person. I, I can't tell you how many people that have said that. The apostle Paul, he, he trumps everybody, right? Because he goes through the whole pedigree and he's like, then he brings you to the place and he says, hey, guys, understand, that's all dung. Dung. He, he, used, a, he used a curse word. It's all dung in comparison to what? To knowing Jesus. 
Because I count it all loss for the knowledge of knowing him. Not religion, but personally knowing him. He says, to all you who are in Rome, there, verse 7, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Do you notice in your Bible there, you, you might see those words, to be. Those were put in by the translators. Okay? They don't need to be there. You were called not to be saints. You are called saints, past tense. You're called saints. I like what Spurgeon says. These believers in Rome were called saints. They were not called because they were saints, but they became saints through that calling. Answer the call of God and you become a saint. You don't make yourself a saint. See, people stay away from the church and they do this. They go, you know what? And you've talked to people as I have. They go, you know what, Pastor Mike? When I clean up my act, I'll come to church. I'm like, it's not going to happen. You can't clean up your, your act. That's like trying to, you know, it's like having both hands, you know, dipped in black paint and you're going to clean yourself off. There's, there's no possibility. You, you have to be clean. Jesus is the one who cleans us up. You come to him. It's by his blood, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I love, you know, when Paul's, he answered that call. And my question as we close today, you know, have you answered that call in your own life? I mean, it, it's a wise decision, isn't it? To become a doulos, to give yourself over completely to God, holding nothing back. And only you can answer that today. What is standing between you and Jesus today? What, what, what is holding you back from giving your all to him? And I can't, I can't answer that for you. I can only answer it for myself. But I hope that you find out through this study. I hope you find out today, like the apostle Paul did. Serving six years, you know, like a, any slave would before a good master comes to that place and goes, you know what? I have it really good. And because I have it so good, I don't want to leave. See, it's like when Jesus talking to Peter, you recall, remember when Jesus spoke, it says, he spoke a hard saying. And it says, and many turned and they walked away from Jesus and they walked with him no more. And so Jesus says, turning to the disciples, he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, will you too walk away? And I love Peter's response. He goes, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of life. Where would you go? Where are you going to go? You're not going to find the words of life in this world. They're not there. They're in Jesus. They're not a religion. And this is why so many people hate Christianity, because there's only one way. And that one way is through God's son. For there's no other name under heaven by which men must be. Didn't say can be, must be saved. And so I hope I hope you're not here today going, man, I'm the captain of my own ship. Remember Bob Dylan? He had that song, you got to serve somebody. And it's true. You're going to serve somebody. Bob Dylan said, you know, it might be the devil, might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And my hope and prayer today, as we close, that you can say, you know, Pastor Mike, I, I'm convinced, I, I know, I, I've heard... I've heard the door. I've heard the knock on the door. I've answered the call of God. And I've made myself 
his slave. I'm not just free to do whatever I want, but I'm free to do everything that God has called me to do, that he's set me apart to do, that he's empowered me to do. And man, when you do that, you will find the joy that we were studying. We think about the book of Philippians, that his joy would be made full in each of our lives because that joy comes through a personal relationship with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we take off into this study in the book of Romans, I, I pray that, Lord, for every heart that's here in this sanctuary, every heart at home, that, God, we'd answer the call of God, that we would hear you, Lord, calling us to abandon ourselves, not to live for ourselves, but to live for you. God, you have a purpose. You have a plan. Uh, Lord, it, it very seldom ever goes the way that we think that it would. But God, it always, in the end, is for our good and for your glory. And Father, I pray for every heart, every home, for every person here today, that God, we can say that we've answered that call. And if we haven't, that Lord, we'd do it right now. That God, we would say simply to you, God, forgive me, Lord, of my sins, forgive me for trying to lead my own life, trying to go my own way. God, I want to have a personal relationship with you. I want you, Lord, to revive me. God, that you would do that work in my life, in my heart, that you would wash me and cleanse me, do what I can't do for myself. Set me apart, Lord, and I'll set myself apart for you, to know you, to love you, to serve you, to go wherever you'd call me to go, but go by whatever means you'd call me to do so. God, that's the life, Lord, that you have for us. And yet, Lord, it's not gonna be accomplished by works, it's only by faith. The just shall live by faith, by trusting you. Lord, help us to do that this week. We thank you for your word. We thank you that, God, faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. And so we pray that your word would go forth in power and might in each of our lives this week for your glory and our good as we pray in Jesus' name. We all agreed saying amen. Amen. Amen.